Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs, startups, and side hustlers share their startup stories. Rising Tide helps you break free from Monday blues and launch your own startup. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is David Hoffman. David, thanks for joining us from the other side of the planet. Thank you for having me, Kevin. So where are you right now, David? So I'm sitting in Hong Kong. Um, and it looks I like you're not. sitting in Hong Kong too. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I am in, in Virginia with a Hong Kong background just for you. I, I, uh, yeah, he, as soon as I turned the uh, Zoom on, he said, are you in Hong Kong as well? I said, no. I said, I just put that up for, for your benefit. But uh, exactly. David, tell our listeners a little bit about David Hoffman. No, well, thank you. So I'm David Hoffman. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been living in Hong Kong for 16 years. I come from South Africa originally. I came to Hong Kong for one year and I was going to move on to Australia. And 16 years later, Hong Kong just presented, I should say Hong Kong and China presented such a world of opportunity in terms of business and, and, and the pace that things happened that I got stuck here for 16 years on this entrepreneurial journey. And um, I haven't looked back. <laughs> it's home so how now. Did you, how did you end up going to Hong Kong? You said you were, you were going to Hong Kong on your way to Australia? Yes. So what was the connection to Hong Kong and what was the reason for going there first? So we were, we, at the time, I was part of a big retail group in consumer electronics. And we actually had a small office in Hong Kong that was helping doing our buying and sourcing and looking after suppliers. It was a team of two people. So, you know, our group had opened up in, in Australia and my business partner had already moved to Australia and we were chatting. You know, a lot of South Africans want to leave. It's unfortunate you know, because of the, the political climate. And so we kind of had a chat and we said, well, look, we, we need to do something with this Hong Kong office and, you know, really set it up properly because it really always acted as a hub for us um, to do other businesses and to support our wholesale and retail businesses. So I said, okay, well, let's do this, uh, you know, because I want to come to Australia. I'll come for one year, you know, we'll set things up here properly and then I'll move on to Australia and, you know, settle down in the business over there. And once I got here, nothing I expected would happen and nothing went right. <laughs> but, you know, month, months, you know, years felt like months at the, at the part of the pace was so fast, but I kind of, the, the city resonated with me. So I came here. And once that started setting things up, um, you know, things took a turn. We had management we thought would be able to continue with things. We turned out, you know, clearing out that whole management team. That well, was one person, two people at the time, but we had to get, get rid of them, start from scratch. And, you know, in a foreign country, a foreign place, we redid it. And um, just, yeah, time ticked by and opportunities presented themselves. And we ended up building a really big business here in Hong Kong and China. So and I never got to Australia. I may still one day. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you know maybe you can get Zoom and you can put Australia in your virtual background, and, and you know then exactly. that way you can exactly. say you've been there. But so, exactly. so tell me the climate. So so Hong Kong went back to China in ninety nine, ninety seven, ninety seven. Okay, so went back yeah. to China in ninety seven. So you actually came after that transfer, right? Exactly. So what do you think would have been the the? It's a kind of off the up to question here. So what do you think the business climate or how, how did it actually change for the business community, like especially the expat community in Hong Kong yes. when that transfer happened and how has that affected you moving, moving forward? 
I speak to a lot of expats about that question. Um, it's, it hasn't changed that much, actually. It's just gotten a lot better. Everybody thought with the China takeover, there'd be a lot of um, problems, and it wasn't. It just opened up more and more to international business. It just became more and more a gateway for people to do business in China. So I think it just accelerated business and it became the fun because it's based on the British law. It just really remained the same and just became the financial hub of Asia and, you know, a big finance center and the legal systems and infrastructure were good. So all the foreign companies set up headquarters in Hong Kong to have a footprint, you know, into China. Right. So it, it just boomed and thrived. I don't think it changed much. It got better. So what, what was your, you said you were working for like an electronics firm. I mean, was it your own company or were you working for a larger firm or what was the, what was the so, connection? So there? At, the, at the time, it was an electronics retail group that we had, we had chain stores all over South Africa. Uh, my partner was actually the founder of that business. He was my boss at the time. He became my mentor and business partner many years later. Um, so, you know, it was, that was kind of my starting ground in, in, in business was being able to work for this company. Um, we kind of grew quite senior and, um, it was a public company at that stage in South Africa already. And they were expanding into Australia and to other places. Um, then, the, you know, there's a whole lot of corporate actions that happened, et cetera, et cetera. And to cut a long story short, we just ended up unbundling the, the Hong Kong China operations and, you know, setting it up as a standalone business. And, you know, that really became the backbone of many product businesses that we've launched, many products we've brought to market, and many businesses we've started around having this infrastructure here. So has somebody that's done business in that environment for, you know, nearly 16 years, tell me, tell me one of the, or maybe one or two of the biggest hurdles you face, you know, with the supply chain, with, you know, product sourcing, with, you know, you can fill in the blanks, but um, yeah. I mean, we've all heard horror stories of the, you know, the container showing up at the dock and, you know, everything's the wrong color or it's, you know, and molded or, you know, whatever. So what, yeah. what, how did you, I mean, I'm sure you've kind of had some hard knocks along the way, you know, but how do yes. you, how do you kind of overcome that? And, and I guess, maintain the quality when you're when you're sourcing things from so far away yes so that's that that's one of the reasons i stayed here so long and ended up setting up such a big team because the more you stay here and and you know get involved in the business you realize there's a cultural difference there's a communication difference and misunderstanding and so many things we take for granted um, as, as a western world let's say yeah. about how we use a product what's important to us is actually so unimportant culturally to the Chinese that even if there's a mistake made, it's not even a deliberate mistake or an intentional mistake. It's because they don't actually have that cultural understanding or even use for a product in some cases. So especially in, the, in those days, it's matured a lot now, but there's just little things like, you know, you, you'd ask for a color green and there's a thousand shades of green. Mm -hmm. So, you can't really blame somebody who gives you the wrong shade of green sure. if you don't really be quite specific on the details. And I think that's really where I find breaking down that communication barrier um, and just having that attention to detail in, in specifications, in requirements, and being very, very patient because there is an understanding difference. 
So you know, we, we sample things, we, we go into detail on specifications so that to make sure it's right with rounds and rounds of checking and sampling and not assuming. Um, and I think that's really the biggest difference here. It's, it's just that patience and attention to detail that is really required. I think that, you know, if you've, if you've been doing business that long in, in that diverse a space, I think, you know, two things would, as you were talking, that just really kind of stood out to me that, that I think you would have established over this period of time. And number one would be an incredible network. You probably know people yeah. virtually all over China and, and East Asia. And the yes. second thing is, you know, you have such experience with a, such a diversity of suppliers or yes. vendors that you're yeah. like... I know which ones I can trust, which ones I can't trust, which ones deliver yes. exactly what I've asked for. It's easy to communicate with that type of thing. So are the, do you think those two factors have played a, a real key role in you developing, uh, I guess the, the depth and breadth of your, of your business and the trust that that's kind of built in? Yes. And, and that's what we actually see as our, our key uh, like knowledge asset mm-hmm. because we've dealt with so many suppliers. We've been burned by so many um, sometimes it's actually our fault we got burnt and not their fault. Although at the time we felt like it was all they're doing, but you know, in retrospect, you realize you have a part to play in that. But that's exactly what we feel makes us able to start our businesses, launch our products, is that when we get an idea, we know exactly who to go to. We go, ah, oh, I know who can make that. I know who's good at that. I know who's reliable at that. And a lot of them are even friends now. You know, you pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got this great idea. And they go, yeah, we, we, we're interested and you can talk. Um, it's a huge, huge, huge yeah. benefit. Yeah. And that, that's why we stay here, to culture those relationships. So it's interesting. You, you said, I, I went to Hong Kong with the idea that we were kind of in the electronic space. But it sounds like to me that you're in a variety of things and have been, yes. whether you did it or whether you acted such, you know, like a, maybe a liaison or a broker in essence, yeah. for other companies around the world. So tell, walk us kind of through that transition. I mean, how do you go from, you know, selling flat screen TVs and saying, hey, <laughs> you know what, I think we can make uh, women's purses or we can make, uh, you know, small electric cars or, you know, you, you fill in the blank. The key word's entrepreneurial. Yeah, exactly. You think you can do anything. <laughs> no doubt about it. You, you are a you serial entrepreneur. That's exactly right. Right. And you see, you know, because you hear we are trending trade shows all the time. We're meeting suppliers all the time. Everybody's shoving ideas in front of you, right? And then you go, oh, that's a great one. Oh, I love that. And that's so clever. That's so smart. And then the next day you've got a business around it. <laughs> um, most of them usually unsuccessful, to be fair. <laughs> but, you know, it all does start with that initial enthusiasm. Hey, um, Edison, didn't he say, I didn't, I didn't ever fail. I just found 10,000 ways it didn't work. I love that. I love that. You're right. I mean, we've been, so if, if I look back, we, from having, you know, the business here and operations here, we've launched baby products. Um, we've launched a clothing line. I don't know how it's another long story, <laughs> you know, because being in Asia, it's not just like what you find is you meet people in industries. It's such a small community here that, you know, you, you, you socialize with people that are in completely different industries, you know, they become your friends and then you realize, okay, well, they've got a great expertise in this space, like clothing as an example. And you go, okay, well, we got a great expertise in this space, you know, let, let, let's get together and start something. Exactly. 
uh, we've done clothing. Um, we actually started Australia's largest online retailer, um, which was called oo.com.au, which we sold eight or nine years ago. But that whole business at the time when eBay was just booming and online was booming, it became Australia's second largest. That whole business literally just started because we had access to products in China mm. and thought it would be a good idea to sell them online. And, wow. that's, and so we've, we've got from online retail, clothing brands, we've got a business now where we're developing apps and software um, for the tutoring space. <laughs> um, and, you know, everything, each one has its own story about how it came to be. Um, but a lot of it is stems from us being here. I think also one of the things that helped us is, it, you know, our, our bread and butter is consumer electronics. Mm-hmm. And, and that bread and butter, because we work with a lot of big brands on licensing their brands and developing the products, um, it's, it's also allowed us to um, open quite a big distribution network, right? Like yeah. In different countries of people sell, selling those brands and those products um, in different countries. And even through those relationships, you meet people that are involved in other businesses or become an interesting sales channel for a new product you find. And you go, well, hey, is this baby mixer interesting for you? Oh, yes, we happen to have a baby mixer division. So it is a bit, um, it, it's, it's a bit mixed up but it makes a lot of sense when you go through it from start to finish and you see how the dots connect. I, I, mean, I love just listening to, to, and you can just see your eyes light up as you go from like product to product to product. Cause, cause you, you're exactly right. You have a backstory for every one of those. You can probably, you could probably recount, you know, the individual you were talking to, if you were in a lift, if you were exactly. at a restaurant, if you were in a, taxi cab, you know, or coming from the airport, whatever the, the connection was, maybe you're on exactly. a Skype call or whatever, but, I, just as an entrepreneur, I mean, there's a there's a famous expression that says, "When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail." Then, <laughs> I love it. You know, it's so, so true. When you're an entrepreneur, everything looks like a nail. So, you know, exactly. it every op, you know, there there is no there's no such thing as a bad opportunity. So, so exactly. you're so and, optimistic. And think, yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. It's the ten thousand lessons things that didn't work that were the lessons you learned. <laughs> exactly. And I must say, we are getting better and pickier and choosier on what we do. And well, you're just wiser. You have a better network. Wiser. You have, you have better, you know, metrics, you have, you know, better exactly. history experience. You, your, your suppliers are better. Your supply chains better. I mean, the whole, the whole process has been refined over 16 years of, you know, hard you're rocks right. and mistakes. So, you know, and, right. and successes too. I mean, obviously you've had a lot of successes along the way. So, exactly. you know, to keep, to keep that entrepreneurial juice flowing a little bit. So, you know, you, you exactly. lose money 16 years in a row and it's hard to get up that 17th year and say, this is a great idea. <laughs> and, and you never forget that loss. You never <laughs> exactly forget it. <laughs> right. Exactly right. Well, tell me, you, you and I are hopping on a lift and, and we're going up about 10 floors. Give me your yes. uh, kind of the, the quick business elevator pitch of what you do today. So that may be hard for you to define, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, I think, I think what I call kind of my pet project at the moment, right, is a company we started called Global TQM, which is, um, it's done for you services on the ground in China. And it really literally stemmed out of the fact that I'm here sourcing huge volumes out of China, doing this stuff all day, every day for big companies. You know, I had a lot of, 
people, literally friends, family, coming to me and saying, oh, I started this business, I've contacted this supplier in China and they've been messing me around for a month and they took my money for a deposit or I can't get the samples right or the stock's all damaged, what do I do? And I, I would just help them and say, well, look, let me call the factory. I'll get one of my staff in China to speak to them. We'd have a 10 minute conversation and, and it's resolved mm. or, you know, or they needed something and I put them in contact with the right supplier and they were like so grateful. And of course, you know, as friends, family, you can't really charge them for that. You know, they say charge me and you go, I don't even know what to charge. Yeah. You know, we're not geared for that. But like it did get me thinking to how can we, um, how can we really splice up what we do in a kind of, a done-for-you service, pay-on-demand, you know, because not everybody is going to see projects through. Right. And I really found that I, I was enjoying helping people bring their product ideas to reality, helping people start their own business um, because they, you know, through sourcing products from China. So Global TQM is really a, a, a business where we do, we, we have a host of done-for-you services on the ground in China. So, we can find manufacturers for you. We can find, um, we can check background, check and vet your suppliers for you. We can handle the order management process for you and all the commercial documentation and communication. We can inspect your goods at the factory before they leave. Mm. We can help you with engineering and compliance. So we kind of broke it down into the like, literally an a la carte menu of done for you services and linked to that, which we're launching now, um, when I say now, I don't know when this is going out, but in January, we're starting our live training program where we're going to just take 50 people as a beta program and we're going to bring those people into a live environment where every week we're going to do live training with them on how to build your own business around products, everything from sourcing it to building it to getting it online to finding selling channels. And every week we're going to do a live session then document it, wrap it up, bundle it, and send the digital recordings to them. And, you know, if that works well, we want to expand that program. And then, you know, people can learn how to do it. And if they need services on the ground, you know, they've got access to our team. So that's, when you say live, you mean live over, like online, like over Skype, yeah. or live in Hong Kong there? No, live, live on, online live. So okay. we'll, we'll choose 50 um, people. Hopefully we get more than 50 signing up. We'll see. Sure. Um, but we just want to take a group to help us work through it and refine it and what works. And, you know, but, but what, what I find is even with the done for you services, not everybody's really ready or has the mindset or understands exactly, you know, how much it takes to get this started. I right. think, Oh, you know, you source a product and everything's perfect. So I think the training and coaching part is really important. And we're hoping, actually, that through these programs, um, we even find good businesses to possibly invest in or oh, accelerate. I, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, as you were thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking, so, you know, I could even see like an equity share type thing, exactly. you know, or, you know, as you're moving forward, say, hey, you know, we'd like to, we'd like 10% of this moving forward and we'll, we'll provide these services in, you know, in, in in kind exchange type things. So. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and the advisors of the business, because I, I, I have helped people like that. We have scenarios like that that have just been born out of friendships and relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so I look at those and I go, wow, there must be so many people out there that have 
got because we, we what, what we've realized we can't do everything and there's some great ideas out there yeah and there's some great businessmen out there and operators yeah. so you know to try and leverage that bring what we can the value we can add to the table and just find great people to work with and invest in seems like it can be a very interesting opportunity um, right absolutely so that's the journey i'm on absolutely I, I love that idea i mean as you were talking i was just thinking you know, I, I think if I was them, I would probably just require a, you know, small equity share for everybody that comes in the program. And that way, you yes. know, it's not like, well, I get to pick and choose, but you're thinking, you know, you may, you may see something for six months that looks like it is an absolute dud, you yes. know, so to speak. And then it just may take off and you're thinking, I'm sure glad we had 10 or 15% of that, you know, it's, rocket it's, ship. Yeah, very, you know, it didn't look like it's worth anything initially. But you're so right with that like some products or some ideas literally can take 10, 12 months to find a momentum yep. or find a selling channel that works for it. Because, you know, Amazon as an example is not an ideal selling channel for every product. It's great for some, but not for everything. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different ways to sell and some products really need to be in a retail environment, not in an online environment. Or So, you know, it's like, how do we, leverage all the years of experience and relationships we've built. Um, but I do think like a lot of people, a lot of products will fail, whether it's execution or just a bad product. It's the nature of the beast. And I think what we're looking for is the opportunities because it does take time and effort. You can't sure. be everything to everyone. And I think as the program matures, we'll figure out how scalable it is. Um, and also, you know, how to identify which opportunities we get involved in or don't. Or is it feasible to have this program where we're involved in every opportunity? I don't know yet. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey. Yeah. Hey, you can be a silent partner. You own 10 or 15% and do absolutely <laughs> nothing. But uh, sit there and yeah. just get that get the dividend check. I contact. <laughs> That's exactly right. You're, you're already speed dialing your attorney to... To write up the contract. There you go. Exactly. I get a I get a little cut of that for the idea. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk offline. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you can promote. You can get it out. Absolutely, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, we will certainly do it on this side for sure. So excellent. Give me uh, let's kind of drill down a little bit. Give me kind of what I mean. I I probably could answer this for you, but I I would rather hear you answer. But okay. what what is kind of your drive? What's your internal driver? What's what's your as Simon Sinek would say, what's your why, you know, that, that kind of fuels you? Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own why. I think for me, um, I mean, it's not actually financial reward. Like for me, I mean, from a background perspective, um, I'm very driven to be successful and earn money because I think financial freedom gives you independence and, and, and buys you the freedom you want. And I think I've, you know, had some background experiences where, you know, money's been a real issue in our life and it's, it scarred me to, in many ways. And I kind of vowed I don't ever want to be in that position again. This is a very vulnerable position. So that's kind of been always, I always say that's given me my grit factor, like mm, why I never sure. give up, yeah. right? So that's kind of the grit element. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I love being free. I love mm. having the freedom to wake up in the morning and do this podcast because I can. And then afterwards, I'm going to take my son to school because I can. And I'm going right. to in on a job in and out. right? And I, you know, I can go on holiday whenever I like and work from there because I can. <laughs> that freedom is, 
to me, that's the quality of life that matters. Mm. All and, right. I uh, love that. I love that. Yeah. And I, and that, that's what like really drives me a lot. And every time, you know, people say, no, what's your hobby? Like, I go, actually, business is my hobby. I mm. love all our businesses we get involved in. I, I love starting them. I love being involved in them. I love discussing them, nurturing them, seeing what directions we're going to take with them. And well, like, maybe I'm lucky in a way. Like, you know, people, some people go boating, fishing, camping. I don't. Mm. I can sit all weekend researching about a business, checking exactly. other companies, yep. and figuring out what and, and mapping out my plan. <laughs> I love doing that. So um, that's like a big, yeah, for me, it, it keeps me busy, it keeps me occupied. And, um, you know, I'll, the success just, the feeling you get when it's successful is the best. Yeah, ab- no, ab- absolutely. I, let, me, uh, let me give you a statement and you tell me what, what you think about this. I mean, there's, a, there's yeah. another quote that talks about, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work another day in your life. Exactly. So tell me how that, does that resonate? Does that, I mean, do you say, uh, yes, absolutely, that's truth? Or is it, you say, no, I'm working all the time. I, I get up and it's, it's, it's hard graft, you know, to, you know, but yes. how does that, how does that fit I, in your system? So I think firstly, when I started, I worked because I had to, not because I loved it. So I get that. And, and it, it was a necessity. I can't see any way at that stage in my life that I could have known what I loved mm, yeah. and what my passion was everybody's different. That's me. And just by putting my head down and working because I had to, but being very opportunistic, whatever I did, I did very well and became good at it. And, you know, I was lucky. I was recognized through that. And then, you know, those brought me more and more opportunities and I kept on taking them because they, you know, stepped me up and up. Um, but, um, sorry, I just want to come back to your question. Um, I digress a little bit. Um, you, you were saying um, about the just refresh my memory. Well, just the, the whole idea, you know, if, if you if you yeah. do what you love, you kind of never work another day in your life. I mean, that was, how does yes. that kind of fit yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, your yeah. ethos? Yeah. So 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 for me, it it was a case of like it it wasn't what I loved, and over time, I was lucky it molded and shaped into what I loved yeah, doing, and I discovered what I loved through it. But I don't, but yeah, to, to the point of you, you never work another day, you do work, you're busy, you actually work twice as hard, three right. times as hard, and you're three times as busy, because when you love it, it doesn't, it's still work, it just doesn't feel like work. Mm, that's a great way to put that, and I, I think, you know, as you, as you get better at it, you're more productive, you're more efficient, you're more, exactly. you know, experienced. And you work twice as hard, because it doesn't yeah. feel like work, so For now sure. you go to bed, you go... Oh, I had this great idea. Let <laughs> me write that down. Or oh, let me just message this guy quickly on this. Whereas if if you didn't love it, you wouldn't do that. So, so, so the truth is, you you work nonstop when you love it. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like you. Are you actually working, or is it just your mind is spinning? The, the like the gears, the internal gears are always spinning about ideas, or exactly. I don't know what the differentiation is anymore because it all starts with the ideas. <laughs> yeah, it's all gray together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you have to yeah. Be passionate about the product. Do you think that's important? Does that help yeah. in any way? Like, you, do you choose things you like or you care about, or or do you you say the product is not what's important? It's the market fit. It's the it's the need. Yeah. It's the margins. You know. 
I must be honest, some of the products that we've done haven't per se been something that I've been incredibly like um, a massive fan of. I don't think that's right though, but it's just the truth. But um, I still fundamentally believe the product has a place. Sure. And I still, and I still fundamentally believe and have been convinced that the product, um, you know, has a place and has a need and that, that through all my research and conversation and discussion, people like it and want it. And then, and then because I enjoy that process of building it and refining that message so much and building the business around it and all the logistics and operational stuff around it, um, I, I let that drive me. And then I, I learned to love the product more and more, you know, and yeah. it becomes a baby. Yeah, that, that makes um, perfect sense. I, mean, like, but, you know, I, I know a lot of people are the exact opposite. If they don't love the product, I think it's the best thing since sliced cheese. They can't do it. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I mean, do you, do you find yourself, that's kind of a follow-up question, do you find yourself working a little harder slightly for things that you really care about versus the other things or that you have to kind of yes. grow into a passion for? Or? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> spend a little more time on those things anyway yes they, they get that little bit of extra love <laughs> <That's exciting. laughs> yeah do you have a favorite child no well okay maybe it depends yeah 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 i may possibly not sure <laughs> <That's right. laughs> exactly. hanging out with the most <laughs> no no absolutely absolutely yeah, the one i like the best is the one that listens to me the most that's the one i like the best so yeah exactly, exactly. the one who's most obedient so well, like this is we're kind of transitioning to you know my my really my, i mean i love all parts of our of our interviews but this is a this is where i feel like we really add value to our listeners here is that yes. you know it's the whole idea that that just says hey I'd, I'd love for you to kind of get in the time machine and go backwards a little bit and just say hey we're, we're starting again um what would you do if you you know with your with your experience you know knowledge um contacts whatever yeah. but what would you do tomorrow if you were starting a business and, and give us kind of two or three foundational steps that somebody yeah. can grab onto and doesn't matter what the product is or what the business is, but what are some foundational steps they need to take you know, yeah. to start a business tomorrow? So I think for, for me, a couple of the learnings is that um, only, I'd only work with people I trust and like. Mm. Um, that's become so much more important to me is if I just can't, if I don't enjoy the people I'm working with um, as people and as business people in the way they think and work, um, I just won't do that anymore. And I'll, if going back, I wouldn't do that. And, and I, I have to really trust them. You know, contracts are contracts and you need them. But I just, I fundamentally have to trust the person and go, you know what? With or without the contract, I think these people are going to do the right thing. I think we've got the same mindset. Mm. Um, that's really important to me. Um, I would also make sure I'm working with um, people that are really passionate and good at what they do. I, 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 I think some of the mistakes I made in the earlier years is working with people that I think I can mold and shape better than what I really could. <laughs> and I think when you find experts or guys that are really talented – and much better than you in those things. It <clears throat> doesn't matter how much they cost. It doesn't matter what they want. I think they accelerate you so much that it's worth every penny. And, and I look back, I think I could have done a lot more. We could have done a lot more if we had in those days said, let's just get the best guy for this, the best guy for this. And 
I think we would have accelerated our businesses by five years easily. So what business would you start tomorrow if you were going to start it? Now, look at the smile on the serial entrepreneur's face. <laughs> well, I feel going, like I'm starting. I, I, feel like I can start one every day. That's right. True, true. Look, there's two businesses that we're involved in at the moment that I'm actually really happy about. And, and, and I'm happy we're doing them and we are doing them. And the one is Global TQM, which is a services and training business um, to get more entrepreneurs into our world and space. I am really am passionate about that. Um, and our tutor time business in Australia, which is an app for matching tutors to parents, um, I'm really enjoying that space too. So honestly, like, in fact, we dropped a lot of projects. We had a lot of things going on. And me and my partner sat down and we said, like, we just got too many things going on. You know, you know jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly, yeah. And, um, and we actually did exactly that exercise. And we cherry-picked the two things we care about the most. And like, if, I, if, I, if everything went bankrupt tomorrow, I'd probably sit down and say, like, Global TQM is a business I want to do. I want to teach people, work with entrepreneurs, help them, show them, guide them, and, you know, build a community of entrepreneurs, you know, and, you know, plug in the done-for-you services. Right. But I think that's exactly what I'd probably do. And this is, I mean, is this primarily like a product sourcing, uh, like incubator that you're, yeah. you know, walking through? So, I mean, primarily sourcing products from China, right? Or is this a much exactly. broader than that? So, so it started as sourcing products from China and the done for you services, which I think is the starting point. And then as people get into it more and more, um, we, we, we're going to look at the, who's going to qualify to enter the training program. Cause I don't think it's suitable. I, I, I truly don't think it's right for everyone. Not right. it, you know, we've got people that come to the trade shows. We accompany them to the trade shows. It's just not in their blood. Yeah. So you do need to go through that journey and see, okay, who's really excelling at this? Who's kind of got the bit of the passion for it and, and can do that hard work that it takes and see it through and then bring them into training programs and help them get further and further along the line. Um, there's a lot of, you know, Kickstarter is a great space for something similar where people pitch product ideas, raise money first and then start bringing it to reality. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of, um, I have a lot of friends who sell on Kickstarter as an example who post Kickstarter don't know what to do. They've now actually got a great product. Um, it's, it sold well for that promotional period as an example. And then, th then they don't know where to from here. Now what, how do we scale our production? Um, how do we get into other selling channels? How do we maybe get into retail? How do we get into other countries? So I think that that, that bigger picture is what really excites us. But I, it starts with the training and the done-for-you services. You know, builds a base and a foundation. Right. I mean, I think there's so many. I mean, you, you can go in so many directions, you know, from yes. here. And, um, I mean, I've read some about like the, like the ASEAN market, the, you know, the Southeast Asia, you know, yes. countries, you know, coming together kind of like a, their own version of the European community. Have, yes. Um, are there other countries outside of China that are, that are becoming or coming online as good source countries? I mean, I'm thinking of Vietnam, I'm thinking of Thailand, Indonesia. I mean, are there's they kind lot. of coming into their own? Yeah, there's a lot. 
especially with all the trade war tariffs because um, people are forced to move to their manufacturing outside of China. Mm. So, I mean, you hit them all on the head. Vietnam, um, uh, Vietnam's a big one. Um, Cambodia is a big one as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot. Um, India, surprisingly enough, hasn't really been stepping up as much as I thought they would. And so I think there was a big opportunity there. but yeah, I think manufacturing spreading all over and like the different countries have got different skill sets, you know, like there's a lot of beautiful homewares that come from Vietnam and mm-hmm. come from the Philippines now even. Right. Um, so it, uh, it, it does, it, it does spread. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just interesting to look at kind of the, the idea that we truly are in like a global village now. I mean, yes. everything is within easy access. I mean, just with the ad- advent of the internet, it has just opened up so many markets and, and with exactly. you know air travel so easy and and uh but it's i mean it's amazing i i could sit here and just kind of pick your brain all night long because you know you got two entrepreneurs on either side of the microphone just talking shop here so it, it's exactly. uh, it's a great conversation <laughs> but as there as we're wrapping up tonight is there anything that uh that i haven't asked you about that that uh you just kind of want to close this with and and then just tell people where the best place maybe to find you online and you know, we'll make sure. sure that your 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 course link is is in the show notes to, you know, as you're heading sure. into 2020. But uh, yeah, wrap us up with uh, anything you want to share. Well, I think I mean I think you've hit all the sweet points. Um, to be honest, there's nothing else I can add except that I, I just think fundamentally it takes grit and you've got to do something you enjoy doing. You know, like that perseverance and enjoying what you do, to me is the most important thing. And if if you don't have those two things find something else because they're interconnected and interrelated. Um, if anybody wants to kind of find us and talk to us or me, um, our website is globaltqm.com and there's a free, there's a button there where you can just push schedule a free call. Um, and I mean, although we get a lot of calls and we've got a team that take them, you can just put in there, um, want to chat to David, heard him on this podcast, no problems. They heard right. a rising tide. I see every call that comes through. I'm happy to chat to anybody who's got interest or wants to talk to me further. Um, you know, that's what we do. And especially if they want to get products launched and need help in China, we're here to help. Oh man, that, that's uh, that is such a great offer to our, our listeners. And, and I, I know that, um, you know, as people hear this, it's even evergreen. I mean, you know, it could be, it could be months, you know, later that they would, they would just happen to find this, this episode, but, um, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of the launch of global TQM, you know, through 2020 and 2021 and just see how it grows and, and just the, yeah. the businesses that are launched out of that. And, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll try to circle back with you and, you know, next year sometime and just say, Hey, tell us how, how things look differently, you know, 12 months yeah. in or, or something like that. But, uh, I just really appreciate your time today and it's just been a great, you know, opportunity just to, to get to know you and just to chat through, a, you know, the medium of Zoom and really just hearing your expertise and, and just how willing you were to share with our listeners and, and just, you know, the, the highs and lows and, you know, the, the things that worked and didn't work. But uh, thank you for just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Have a great day, thank David. You. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.